Good morning. We have a new person in our midst today. I got to go to NEA floor number three. There was a lady who comes over from Kennett because Kennett no longer has their hospital. I knew who she was. She doesn't go to church at Kennett, but I knew who she was. And I said, she let me in. First of all, she let me into where the, the babies are. And she said, who are you here to see? I said, I'm here to see the golden child. And she said, what? Oh, you know who I mean, the golden child. What room number is it? Oh, 22. They knew already how great Boone was. And he's here. Be sure to introduce yourself to him and, and let him get used to seeing your face. That's a, a great experience, great thing um, that we got to experience as, as a whole church. It's exciting for all of us. I want to say a special thanks to people who helped pull off the college encounter, what now, uh, from uh, last week. Is it what now or now what? Sorry, now what? I get those two confused. Anyway, uh, that was an amazing event, and there's no way to pull off something like that with a lot of, without a lot of help, and we had a lot of great college people here. It was one of those high points for us, and for everyone, I won't even try names, everyone who helped pull that off, grateful for that. And for the college students, the, the, the emphasis doesn't let up. Tonight, uh, I think it's 6 o'clock, you're going to be at Paul's house for a devotional at his house. Also, Tuesday night is the return of Taco Tuesday, so come on out to the Furby's house. We have somebody special, a member of the congregation that you need to meet, and he's going to do a demonstration of what he does. You will not want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun, so we're going to eat and, and have an interview with this, this person, so you don't want to miss that on Tuesday. But uh, I also got to say this, and Michael doesn't get up very often, so I'm going to make him get up. So Michael, make your way here. He's going to tell you why if you're 55 and old, older, and let me, let me just give you a hint, we are not going to check your birth certificate. If you're 55 and over, you're invited to the Heritage Banquet right after morning services next Sunday. It's kind of popped up on us, sort of, but these young people are ready to entertain you. And why should you come? Michael's going to tell you. I was actually going to do this at the end of services, but uh, the Heritage Banquet, we are uh, inviting anybody that's 55 and older. Again, we're not going to, well, Spencer says we're not going to check birth certificates, but I'm going to have them. You have to bring them to the door. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Our kids are ready to entertain you. Our theme for this year is thank you for the music. Uh, we are basing it all around uh, music from the 60s and 70s. Uh, we have some extremely talented kids in our youth group that want to perform for you and do some uh, familiar songs and some familiar uh, uh, comedic acts and, and tell some jokes and do some fun stuff like that. There may be one or two more recent songs, uh, but we would love for you to be there. That is September 9th. That is a week from today. Uh, also, kids, if you are planning to participate in that, and if you've told me we are having a practice right after services this morning, there's going to be food provided, so we would love for, to have you there. Uh, and I guess that's it. So, How many now are more prone to come? You, something's wrong with you if that doesn't make you want to be there. Anyway. We're in Matthew chapter 8, so if you're making way to Matthew chapter 8, it's a very good reading. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but 
What in the world, what is it that we are trying to accomplish here at Valley View? What are you trying to accomplish in your participation at Valley View? That's a question everybody has to ask about every relationship and role in their life. If you don't know the answer to that, it's going to cause you to do some confusing things. You'll say yes to things you should say no to. If you keep it clear in your head, there might be some people go, why did you do that? But you know full well why you did it, because you have an accomplishment that you're looking for. Let me give you an example, like parenting. Parenting, at least, at least tell me, I need a nod of heads on this, at least tell me this is true. Our parents, as, as parents, our job is to raise and train our young people to be self-disciplined so that when they get older, they participate in culture constructively and do something good for the world, Right? That's right. Now, what that means sometimes is there are moments when you need to tell them no. And there are moments when you need to discipline them so that they learn to discipline themselves. Is that correct? Now, there's a lot of people who think, you know what, I love them too much to do that. I love them too much to be a, a, an authority behind them. I want to be their best friend. Well, what happens if you do that is they're 32-year-old living in your basement playing video games all day and you're still telling them they're the center of the world. That's what happens when you do that. Somewhere the goal got offset, right? Or maybe think marriage for a minute. If, let's say you're one of those people who say, my goal in life is to save every penny I ever earn and be rich at the end of life. So you get married and your goal is still, I'm going to save every penny to live as frugally as I can to be rich at the end of life. And you do. When you do that, you won't take your wife ever to a nice, expensive restaurant. Because you're sitting there the whole time thinking, this is $60 more than McDonald's. And I could have saved if I'd just gone to McDonald's. I can't do that anymore. Or, or that wonderful thing you want to do for her, that extravagant, irresponsible thing you want to do for her, like get all those balloons and roses and fill her car with them and just let her know how much you That's too expensive. Save that money. You get to be 70, 72, and you're rich, but your wife can't stand you. You've gotten somewhere off track with what you want to accomplish. Well, Jesus does something very outlandish and something that makes no sense to any of us in Matthew chapter 8. And I want to know why. I want to know why he does this. And this is no isolated event. Jesus does this a lot. But the Sermon on the Mount is over. It ended in chapter 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he mesmerized these people with not only what he said, but how he said it. He taught as one who had authority. And it says at the end of 7, they were amazed at his teaching. And they followed him because they wanted to hear what he had to say. You switch over to chapter 8, and what you see is he cleanses a leper. And there's something exciting about seeing a guy who can make somebody who's unwell well in an instant. And then the centurion comes, and we know the story. We talked about this last, after, last Sunday afternoon. He asked for a servant to be healed, and in a word, without even going to the servant, he heals that servant. And then you see a whole bunch of them. He goes to Peter's house, and his mother-in-law is lying sick with a fever. I've always wondered if, if Peter was all that amazed about him healing his mother-in-law. But he touches her, the fever leaves her. 
She rises up and serves him. And that evening, it says in verse 18, they brought to him all those oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed everybody who was sick. This is exciting stuff. This is stuff that just really gets a following of people, which explains verse 19. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, Jesus has people around him. They're coming out of the woodwork to follow him. The excitement and the eagerness and the enthusiasm and the energy was something you could feel. These people were gathered around him with anticipation. His M.O. was pretty clear. Let's heal some people. Let's do some amazing things and get attention. And then let's teach them. And he turns around and here's this crowd. His movement started. Jesus has a group of people who are absolutely thrilled to be there. And then comes the next line. He gave orders to go to the other side, meaning of the lake. He's going to leave now. He has got a bunch of people standing in front of him, eager, eating out of his hand. And he gets in a boat and he leaves. You get this excitement build. You get this frenzy going. You got this success happening. And then you go AWOL. How in the world do you explain this? Jesus is not unused to this. There was a time Mark describes when all these people were coming to the door of the house where he was staying and they were knocking on the door at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. There's a line of people forming to see Jesus. They want his touch. They want his healing. And they go looking for Jesus and they can't find him. He's nowhere in the house. He's nowhere around the house or in the houses nearby. They go out in a field back behind the house and they find him meditating. He got up really early and he went off by himself. And they said, Jesus, ta-ta-ta-ta, get into that because the popularity is growing. People are here to see you. Come on, let's heal some more. And Jesus says, mm, no, I'll leave them there. Let's leave them there and go to a nearby village. I need to preach there too. Now there's how you put a wet blanket on an exciting start to a ministry. There are times Jesus did this. At times it says there were many thousands of people who followed Jesus. And there was one time, for instance, that he fed these 5,000 people and they were all excited and they were going to make him king and they were going to do a coup attempt on the Roman Empire and they're going to take Jesus and make him king by force and he sends the disciples away and he scatters the people and he says, nope, no more of this. He gets this thing going. The momentum is just incredibly intense and then, boom, he leaves. Why would he do that? Would we do that? Would we get excited? We have a crowd of hundreds and hundreds of people coming to church with us, and then we just, well, let's just do something that offends half of them. For no reason at all. Take note of this. Crowds following and the big numbers aren't all that impressive to Jesus. Tuck that away for a minute. His highest goal is not to get the greatest number of people. Jesus had to keep his primary purpose primary because it's so easy to get distracted by the excitement of the lesser things. That crowd and that anticipation can be intoxicating. It could have been to Jesus and it can be to us. And sometimes in order to keep the things going that are exciting like that, we kind of keep the teaching of the gospel kind of back behind our back somewhere. If we break out the teaching and we actually have a sermon or a teaching on something, people won't be near as excited about that. So let's keep that kind of in our back pocket and let's keep the excitement rolling just for that sake. 
Well, as Jesus is doing this, as he's about to go over, there's two people come up to him. So join me again, verse 18. Verse 19, a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher. And in Matthew, the only people who call him teacher are people who are outside the disciples. These are people who are not the true followers. Because Jesus is a teacher, that's, that's accurate, but it's not adequate. He's more than that. It says, Teacher. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Now, this sounds wonderful. Here's a guy who says, thick and thin, wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. I'm here for the long haul. And he says to him, as if ignoring him, at this point, if I'm a press secretary, I put Jesus in the boat and I speak for him because he just seems, he just seems curt. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And what that means is if you're going to follow him, you won't either. That's nothing to say to somebody who's uh, volunteering in the committee to be a disciple. That's not something you say if you want them to continue following. And then the next guy says, another disciple said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. His father's not dead. His father's growing old. He's got, I've got a family responsibility, so I'm going to go back and stay with my family until, uh, until my, my responsibility is over. Then I'll come back and follow you at a more convenient time. And Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Forget that responsibility. You've got to make me a primary priority. Both of these candidates either went back into the crowd or more likely now went home. He lost them. There's no way to grow a movement and a wave of momentum when Jesus is doing stuff like this, when he breaks out this discipleship discussion and sends people home. But he's keeping the primary purpose primary. In Jesus, there's two phases to his ministry. And by the way, this is what he commends to us too. Number one, there's the amaze phase. The amaze phase is when I do something that gets attention draws people in. I've got to have people to preach and teach to, right? And so I've got to have some people. And to get people, I've got to get their attention. And that's what the amaze phase is for. Jesus does a lot of amaze phase stuff. He heals the sick, and he drives out demons, and he, he, and he feeds people. He does amazing things to get attention. It demonstrates the gospel, and it gets you potential followers Here's how we get the crowd. We amaze them with something we do that demonstrates service and love for people. And then phase number two is the teaching phase. Once you get their attention, you need to teach them something. We do not go for people's attention just for the sake of having their attention. We must tell them something. If we get their attention with amazed stuff, but we never tell them anything, we've aborted the mission. It's not who we are. It's to impress them with us, but never get them to the message. There has to be an effort to get their attention, yes, but then once you've got it, you need to do something with it. So let me make some observations about this. First, it's relatively easy to plan an amaze phase event. Look at the things that we do at Valley View. We do some amaze phase things. I think of VBS as an amaze phase thing. There's trunk or treating. We get people's attention. We don't tell them anything, but we do get their attention. And number three is pack-a-sack is another one. And, and it's, we go out there and do great. And every year, every year, we're going to talk about this in a minute, every year we say we need to go back and do amaze. 
Our college encounter is a maze phase. Our church camp is a maze phase. And we need to be doing these things. Have you ever been to a church that only does teaching? What we're going to do is, here's our big outreach, is to do three gospel meetings a year. We're not, we're not going to do anything that, that, that gets their attention. They should, they should love the truth. They should want to know the truth. And they're going to come and just hear the truth. Really? Do three gospel meetings a year and tell me who comes. Crickets. That's why we don't do them anymore. What's the use of teaching when there's no one to hear it? You've got to do something to get attention. And that's what these amaze phase things are. However... You cannot leave them at amaze. There are many people who were amazed at Jesus and his ministry. And guys, amazed by Jesus doesn't mean saved by Jesus. It doesn't. It just means you respect or appreciate something he did. But it doesn't get you to the level of being a disciple of his. It is relatively easy to plan things in the amaze phase. And the amaze phase is always larger than the teaching phase. There will always be more people who come to the amaze than to the teaching. There always will be. In fact, it's easier to get people to help with the amaze phase stuff. This is why it's, we get people to do VBS, but when it comes to teaching each quarter, we're begging. Amaze, teach, amaze, teach, amaze, teach. It's easier, and it's easier to get people to come. They'll come to an event, but they won't come to that ongoing stuff without some other reason. To move from the amaze phase to the teaching phase, you're going to lose some people. Jesus did this and experienced it, and he whittled the crowds down because he started teaching and expecting them to absorb what he said. So you got the gospel meeting example which we don't hardly do anymore because nobody comes. And then you got the Bible class. That's a teaching phase. But then we started deciding that the way you do this is you keep them together. You want to you get a group. Well, then you got to do a little bit of a maze and a little bit of a teaching. And that's where we started having meals with the stuff we do. Or after this event, we're going to go out and do something like, I don't know, do something. It, it, it allows people to come and have both. But here's the danger of that is that we often don't get around to the teaching at all. We're afraid to mix both of them together at once. It feels a little bit like manipulation or a, a string attached. I'll give you an example. Michael's doing this great thing. This is considered the trailer for this. It's called a work camp. He's done it at other places, and there are other groups that do this. And Jonesboro and Paragould are going to get together and do this. We're going to find houses that need some work done on these houses for the owners who, who, who just for their own, on their own can't do them. And so we figure out what those houses are, and we get youth groups to come in, some adult volunteers to come in. We get all the supplies together, and we send those kids out to these houses, and we do this work. This is an amaze phase activity. It gets attention. As we were sitting at this room planning this, the preacher at 7th and Muller, I love him dearly, Jeremy says, I really believe that sometime while we're working on the house, somebody needs to be in the house. Somebody needs to be in the house sharing something about the gospel with these people. My initial reaction is, now hold it just a minute. That feels like we're manipulating them. So It feels like we're putting strings on this. But then as you think about this, why not? Do you think these people need a coat of paint more than they need the gospel? You reckon? I think we're reaching a, a time in, our, uh, in, in, in the history of the church where that's going to be debated. 
It shouldn't be debated because the identity of the church is if we never get around to teaching, then we're doing a carnival. We're not doing church. We're doing fun and games. We're not doing discipleship. And that's what we're called to do. When his last word for us is go out and make disciples, not go out and make people amazed. It's make them disciples. How are you ever going to do that when we're constantly amazing but never teaching? We're never getting to that point where we reach down and say, you know what, there's more to this than potlucks and fun stuff. There's more to this. Which explains when these two people come forward and he has to say something. Unless I don't think in the amaze phase you necessarily have to teach discipleship, but you do have to teach it sometime. You do have to tell them the truth. You do have to make them realize there's more to this Christian stuff than this perpetual fun, which isn't necessarily fun. It's work, too. The amaze phase is insufficient by itself. It's just not enough. This fo these followers will tell you this. This first follower comes up, and he says to him, when he's about to make the move from out of the crowd, he's about to step out of the crowd and come to Jesus. Now, here's how it worked. If you were a teacher in the first century, you would go out and teach, and these people would listen to you, and if they really liked you, they would come up and say, guess what? I choose you as my teacher. And the teacher is supposed to go, well, that's just wonderful. And so you choose me as your teacher, which means when I have 40 in my class, and Paul Wallace has two, it tells you who's the better teacher. Because all these students want me as their teacher, and the only two of them want Paul. But you see, Jesus was different. If you'll notice, he comes along. He's the one who calls disciples. He's the one who picks the 12 and says, come follow me. He doesn't wait for people to come to him, and he's not really impressed when they do. Here's a guy who's been in the amaze phase. He's been impressed with the healings and the demon possessions and the teaching moments. He's impressed with all that and said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll be yours. I've chosen you. And Jesus says, you cannot choose discipleship from out of the amaze phase alone. It's like a person choosing, I want to stay in Christmas morning. Christmas morning is wonderful. You cannot stay there. You can't afford it. You know what I'm saying? No one can afford a perpetual Christmas morning. Life has to get back to normal, doesn't it? Life has to get back to like the drudgery of just getting up and going to work to earn the money to pay off the Christmas morning. You can't stay in there and make decisions, and people have tried. And Jesus tells the, 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 the parable of the soils. You remember this? One guy hears, and at once he says, Yes, I'll follow you, and I'll be your disciple. And it sprouts up real fast. And then it says, when he begins to suffer, or it begins to cost him something, he gives it up. He decided out of the amaze phase. There are people who do this. In history, it's called rice Christians. As long as the missionaries bring rice with them, people come to hear the gospel. And when they quit bringing rice with them to eat, these people wouldn't come. Earthquake Christians, back when the earthquake up in, in the New Madrid Fault up there, scared people to death. It was a magnificent display of horrendous power, and they were scared to death, and the churches were overloaded the days following that. But as soon as the fear 
fear subsided, so did their faithfulness. Call them September 11th Christians, right? September 11th, everybody goes to church. By December 1st, they're back home. We, we cannot sustain that kind of discipleship from out of the amaze phase. You can't, because it's easy to say. It's easy to promise and hard to deliver. And Jesus knows that. He says, guys, we won't be doing VBS. VBS is not how this church normally goes. If you come next Sunday expecting VBS, it's just going to be Bible class. Will that sustain you? We're not going to have a potluck every Sunday. We're not going to have a guest speaker every Sunday. We're not going to have a magician every Sunday. We're not going to keep this up. We cannot keep this up, nor can your faith sustain this. You must decide to be faithful on the teaching of Jesus, not on the amazement of his followers. And our, our faith has to be deeper than the next special event. I'm not saying in the amaze phase you teach hard discipleship lessons, but we've got to teach them sometime. This other guy comes and says, you know, I've got to bury my father. In other words, I've got some family responsibilities. And Jesus says, if you're waiting, you're waiting until your commitment to me can fit into your life, you'll be waiting forever. Because the lordship of Christ means the commitment to him rises above everything else. You're going to come and you're going to say to me, well, we can't be there Sunday because we made a commitment to our team. We make a commitment to our team. When a game is scheduled, we've got to be there. I understand that. I agree with you except for one thing. Your commitment to Jesus rises above every other commitment you make, including your marriage. We're going to be high on marriage here, but let me tell you something. We're higher on Jesus than we are in marriage. And it's even above your kids. That's the discipleship that must be taught, but no one likes going there. And we don't want to tell it in the amaze phase, but church, if you've been here for a long time, and you're deciding, and you're trying to riding the wave of exciting stuff, and you're waiting for the next exciting thing, let me tell you something. Discipleship has to matter sometime. Discipleship has to build in. And Jesus says, the only image I can think of is it's carrying a cross. And that's not always fun, and that's not always exciting with lots of bells and whistles. You see... This second guy thought that being amazed is enough to be a follower, and it simply is not. Being amazed prepares you to listen as he teaches discipleship, and then when you're willing to do it, that's when you step out of the crowd and you go into the boat. The next scene you see is they get into a boat, and so you see these two places where you can be. And this story causes you to ask this question, where are you? I'm not asking you as a church, I'm asking you as a person, where are you? Are you in the crowd kind of considering, kind of thinking about things, amazed at Jesus, but thinking maybe about his f further teaching? Or are you in the boat where, you know what, I've decided, I've decided that not only do I, am I amazed at Jesus, but I believe in him, and I'm submitting to him, and I'm putting him as Lord of my life. So I'm in the boat, ready to go to the other side just because he said so, even though I don't quite understand why he's doing this. If that's what he says, that's what I'm going to do. And that's where we want you to be. That's discipleship. When you're in the boat when you're in the crowd we want you there too that's not a bad thing it's a wonderful thing because you're listening and you're following and you've got your attention but somewhere between the crowd and the boat we must be doing something to move people and that bridge that moves them between 
crowd and boat is the hardest thing in the world because very few people want to open their mouths and talk about it. It's tough teaching that needs to be taught. And Jesus is willing to do it. Where are you? Are you in the crowd still trying to decide? You know, you've been amazed at him. He's got your attention. You like some relationships that you have with people who are, who are in the church. Is that where you are? Because if you are, I hope you, I hope you stay there, and I hope you continue to move. I hope you transition into the boat. If you're in the boat, that means you're a disciple. And you, so, you know what you say as a disciple? Wherever he says, if he tells me to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be here in Bible class. I'm going to be here anytime we're supposed to be here. Anything that will help me in my discipleship, that's what I'm going to do. That's the boat. That's you. Keep in the boat. And if you're thinking about moving, there's two directions you can go. You can keep hearing and say, that's too tough, and go back home. Or you can move closer to the boat. That's what we hope for you. As a church, let me say this, because I think as a church we need to say this. This is the most active church I've ever been a part of. Every Monday I'm going, <laughs> just like that. What more can we do, right? We do a lot of amaze phase things, and we need to. Those who don't like that and think we just need to teach, no, we need to do amaze phase stuff. But those of you who love amaze phase, we got to teach some too. We got to take them somewhere. We got to tell them something. So I say to the college students, we're going to do whatever we can to bring you in from the crowd, but we're going to tell you when you get here, there's some discipleship stuff we got to talk about. We're not willing to just have you. We have you to share Jesus with you. That's what you're here for. I say that to our young people. I want you to have fun. I want the youth group to be fun, but I want it to be more than that. I want you to be amazed with Jesus, and then I want you to commit to Jesus, and I want you to live the rest of your life for Jesus, and we'll settle for nothing less, right? This is a church, make sure that we pay attention to both. And this morning, this morning if you're in the crowd for whatever reason, you've just not made that move to the boat yet, I'm asking what in the world are you waiting for? We're not going to soften anything up and just say, you know, it's no big deal, you know, just, just keep coming and keep doing the amazing thing, because amazed is not going to save you, but you already know what's demanded of you. The whole thing is at the initial. When you, when you decide, you know, I'm going to get in that boat, what it means is you've got to submit to the Lordship of Christ, and you've got to unite with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, and baptism. And that is a posture that's supposed to be sustained throughout all of life. I'm going to join Him in everything. Whatever He says to do, that's what I'll do. And if you're part of the crowd for a long period of time, the question is, what in the world's keeping you from jumping in the boat? Make the move. Move from the crowd who's amazed to the boat who's with. This morning may be a perfect time for you to make that move, and we stand ready to receive you as we stand and as we sing.